It is a blessing, as mentioned already, that we have been given to assemble here tonight. To do so without fear of harassment from those who perhaps have that as their intent, but yet to gather in freedom, to gather in tranquility and peace, and to do so with a desire, of course, to be first and foremost pleasing unto the great God of heaven who made it possible. Tonight, as we have arrived at this point in the service, we've already been able to joyously lift our voices in song, and certainly also making preparation to devote a few moments to a consideration of some section of topics in the Bible. Tonight, as you can see, we're going to be asking or at least turning our attention to the demonstration of forgiveness. And for the next few moments, how about we give some thought to and study perhaps a bit about this interesting topic. These introductory thoughts on this next slide would perhaps motivate us to at least proceed in the direction of the lesson this evening. Isn't it true that God supplies every need that you and I have at the most basic level? Paul, in directing his comments in the closing chapter of the, of the Philippian letter, he said, The God of heaven shall supply every need. Now, as you and I think about then those things of which we have the need in this life, and yet we have the promise, the guarantee from the God of heaven that such shall be provided us. That fills your heart and mind with such great encouragement and confidence. But with that, we come to a discussion of forgiveness. As you and I know, the Bible frequently mentions this, in fact, many more times even than the sheer number of the times that the Word appears. As you can see, 112 times in the King James Bible, the word forgive or some form of it occurs. And that alone, of course, highlights in you and in me the frequency with which that topic is found on the pages of the book of God. And so it is. Sometimes that forgiveness that's discussed relates to God's forgiveness of man. And oh, what a lovely thing that is. In Psalm 32, 1, blessed is the one who in fact has that forgiveness from God. And all of us who are Christians have known that. And what a transforming moment it was. But oh, there are other occasions when forgiveness is described in a context in which it's one person extending forgiveness to another person. That primarily will be our discussion tonight. You'll notice as we close that slide, though, it might well be asked, how does one then appreciate the demonstration of that forgiveness? In other words, if I'm asked, or in fact the Bible commands that that forgiveness be extended, how can I know I have done it? What might be some things, at least, the Bible would share about that very idea? The next slide will be one in which we're going to at least revisit the context of a gentleman in the Word of God, who in fact was in the position to need forgiveness. You'll notice at the top, we're going to first of all highlight, God has much to say about commanding you and I to be people of forgiveness. Not only having received it of God, but yet being more than willing to extend it to others. In Matthew chapter 18, in verses 23 to 35 of that chapter, Jesus told a rather amazing parable. In fact, so significant it is that I'd like to at least rehearse a few of the elements of it. There was a king, and of course, as king, he was the absolute monarch and ruler over his subjects, and he began to reckon in terms of who it was that owed him. And as he made that reckoning, he found that well, there was one who owed him 10,000 talents. 
Now, in the money of that day, of course, that was such a great amount. Even in the money of our day, that's well over $15 million. This man owed him far, far more than that servant would ever be able to pay. After having identified that that one owed so much, you might recall that the king throw him into prison and along with his wife and children until at least some payment has been made. You'll notice that the servant began to plead with the king, Please have compassion on me and have mercy on me. The text says the king had compassion on him, and these unforgettable words are found. He is loosed from that debt. The debt was forgiven. The servant no longer had obligation to pay it. But then the rather shocking thing is that individual proceeded, of course, in light of the fact that there was another who owed him only a hundred pence, a rather small amount. And yet when that other gentleman also was unable to pay, he too pleaded for mercy and he pleaded for an element of compassion. And yet that servant was unwilling to extend it. He in fact took the guy by the throat, had him thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. The fellow servants who witnessed all of this told the king. The king called in that first servant. I had compassion on you, but you wouldn't extend compassion to a fellow servant? Jesus closed that parable by rather directly asserting to one and all that the God of heaven won't forgive us unless we are willing to extend that forgiveness to others. And of course, in that parable, God was the king. The servant was a particular human being, an individual. And then, of course, the fellow servant was one who was also an individual. God's extended forgiveness, but His servant wouldn't? Something to think about, isn't it? You'll notice also in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, after that rather remarkable model prayer in which Jesus taught His disciples how to pray, these two statements are found. Your heavenly Father will forgive your trespasses if you forgive from your heart the trespasses of men. But He went on to say, If you will not forgive others their trespasses, neither will God forgive yours. All of that is to say, of course, that forgiveness in these verses is lifted to an exceedingly high plateau, something that could well stand in between you and I and the God of heaven. It is in that light we arrive at this example. It seems to me that we have an example in the Bible, a gentleman named Peter. And we can in fact observe he himself was in need of forgiveness. The scene is a very stunning one. It was that night prior, of course, to the Lord's crucifixion, and Peter was there when Jesus was arrested. Not only that, he made his way to the very hall wherein the Lord was being tried. And over the course of that little period of time, three different individuals charged Peter. Weren't you one of them? Oh, I don't know the man. Oh, but, but wasn't you one of them? Oh, I, I don't know him. And finally, there was a third one who also said, I'm just sure you're one of them, for your speech betrays you. And he began to curse and to absolutely affirm, and of course lying character, I don't know the man. Three times Peter denied him. Three times, even after the character of the Lord had promised him before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times, and it happened. Peter was in need of forgiveness. He had sinned. He had transgressed the very nature, of course, of truth. In that sense, we can now ask, how did Jesus extend forgiveness to him? 
what does the Bible say about that and what might be some things that could be very helpful and meaningful to you and me? It is the case. Peter, of course, went out and wept bitterly. We understand that forgiveness can't be extended to one who doesn't wish to be forgiven. But isn't it true Peter was one whom Jesus had said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Jesus told him that. Jesus knew that the devil wanted Peter. And of course that night he got him. But Jesus went on to say, When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus apparently knew that Peter's sensibilities would remain, and although he would err by sinning, he would have a desire for repentance, for forgiveness, and would come back to God. And yet you notice, as that develops before us, Peter did go out and weep bitterly after he denied Jesus. We're told that in Luke twenty two sixty three, And after weeping bitterly, we find as we encounter the book of Acts, he apparently had been forgiven. What did Jesus do to extend forgiveness to him? What evidence was there for it? Why don't we study that for the next few minutes? As you and I come to the bottom of that slide, those are the very matters we're going to ask of ourselves, and certainly you and I can ask them of ourselves. As we do that, point number one, this forgiveness that was extended to Peter. First of all, that text we just noted a moment ago, there was a statement, a statement I've listed it here that illustrated the desire for the forgiveness. Let's develop that point in the following way, please. Jesus communicated directly with Peter. <clears throat> Again, the Lord said, Satan's desiring you, Peter. And in fact, the Lord said, when you're converted. That indicates Jesus knew Peter was going to stumble. He knew Peter was going to fall. He knew Peter was going to succumb to the pressures and the intensity of that night. After all, given what they were going to do to Jesus, Peter, of course, wanted to be close enough, but still a bit of a distance. Isn't it true? that you and I rather quickly notice, Jesus nonetheless said, when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Jesus didn't give up on Peter. He apparently knew he was going to stumble and fall and knew he was going to sin. But he held out that remnant of appreciation, understanding the kind of servant Peter could be. But it seems to me an even richer truth is found in Mark 16, 7. That was before Peter fell. That was before he sinned. What about afterward? In Mark 16, verse number 7, a rather innocent statement is found. As you look at the way it's presented the Bible, Jesus by this point had been crucified. He had already been resurrected. But you'll notice He made this statement. Those, those angelic visitors that were on that occasion, go and tell His disciples and Peter that I go before them, that Jesus goes before them into Galilee. Have you ever pondered about part of that passage? Why wasn't it sufficient to say, go tell His disciples, wasn't Peter one of the disciples? Go tell His disciples that He will meet with them in Galilee. But the Holy Spirit, through those angelic visitors, didn't say that. Go tell the disciples and Peter. It's as though Peter was being singled out as especially being reminded of himself, you too are significant. You have been forgiven. May I say that that leads us to note this. When someone has asked for our forgiveness and we have assured that we've extended it, 
Have we let them know verbally that we forgave them? Have we let them know in a verbal way, by declaration, that we've extended that forgiveness that they have asked? Notice again, Jesus reaffirmed Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Maybe Peter was feeling a bit down. After all, he had denied Jesus. And of course, Jesus had been killed and, Je- and Peter had never been able to personally tell him, I'm sorry. But Jesus wanted him to know, your forgiveness has been extended. Go tell the disciples and Peter, I'll meet with you in Galilee. Isn't that a beautiful truth? And yet, just those two words there in Mark 16, 7. Not only that, as you and I come near the close of that slide, we of course have to be very cautious. When we extend forgiveness, our attitude needs to be proper and right. Could I call us to consider Mark 18, or rather Matthew 18, 15? When Jesus made that statement, if a brother trespass against you, go and tell him his fault alone. Don't make a public spectacle out of it. That's not the time or place for that. Go and speak with this individual alone. Sharing what it is that you perceive the issue and problem to be, confer, discuss that through. Not only that, as you consider this verse with me in Galatians 6 verse 1, there's an attitude that must be sorely understood on our part. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. I might succumb to a temptation as well, and so I with meekness need to approach this brother, this individual, this fellow Christian, and try to assert into that life, I've forgiven you, but I'm not going to hold this over you as a better-than-thou attitude. Finally, in James 5, verses 19 and 20, in the last two verses of that little five-chapter book, James reminded his readers that you who restore one from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. And so when we extend forgiveness, just like Jesus did to Peter, it might be that encouragement, that edifying principle needed to make such a dramatic difference in faithfulness in the life of that person. That isn't the only thing though Jesus did. Not only did He make a declaration, you go and tell the disciples and Peter, but notice there was a social interaction, an acceptance, a togetherness. Let's again appreciate that one who hasn't been forgiven, of course, is in a position of a a withdrawal, a, a disfellowship. But one who has in fact repented and one who has <clears throat> approached that position of forgiveness, once that forgiveness has been extended, notice what Jesus did. Could I call to your attention, Jesus appeared to Peter, the very one who had denied him. And yet after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to him. Is that not a grand statement? He had been accepted. His forgiveness had been extended to him. For instance, in Luke 24, 34, we have that record that those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, as they returned, they made the statement, the Lord has appeared to Peter. Jesus appeared to this man, and not only that, in 1 Corinthians 15, 5, Paul makes reference to that truth. Maybe all of that is to say this and to lead us to that next point. There's a rather dramatic presentation in John chapter 21. 
I would invite you to turn to that chapter. We won't read all of it, but we will at least make a reference to some of the events of that chapter. This again was after the Lord had been resurrected. Verse number 1 says, After these things Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed He Himself. The disciples, of course, Peter included, was there at the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias as it's called here. And you may recall that verses 3 and 4 tell us they had been fishing, and yet they had caught nothing. It says in verse 4, When the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew Him not. They had been fishing that previous night. The morning had come and Jesus was standing on the shore, but they didn't recognize Him. He again was in the resurrected form. But you'll notice, Jesus gave them commandment. You go and you fish in a particular way, and when they did, they caught so many fish that the boat was having a difficult time hauling it. Verse number 11 says there was 153 fish. Now, upon the recognition of this sudden, immediate catch, they began to suspect, and some of them said, It's the Lord! They brought the fish to shore, and they began to cook them. They fixed them, and Jesus shared a meal with those apostles. Peter was included. There was a social interaction. The very one who again had denied Him not many days before... He had been forgiven. He pleaded in terms of that repentance and the character of what he had changed in his life. And the Lord had extended forgiveness to him. And notice they shared an interaction, a social interaction here. Notice on that slide, as that develops, it leads us then to ponder something similar about that to ourselves. Those questions at the bottom. When an individual has erred and then asks my forgiveness... Do I continue to withhold social interaction? Do I refuse to speak to this person? Do I refuse to have anything to do with him or her? If so, I'm not behaving in the same way Jesus did toward Peter. There was an inclusion, a sense of togetherness, a sharing, a mutual interaction. And as much as that was extended to Peter, doesn't it remind us the sweet fellowship that Christians enjoy? Perhaps one final thing would be, that text of Romans 12, verse 10, you and I as Christians find ourselves in a position to consider what was told to that church in Rome. There, let love be without dissimulation. We noted that verse, verse 9 this morning, but notice how it follows. In honor, preferring one another. Christians not only love one another, they enjoy the opportunity of the mutual fellowship that they have through the blood of Christ. This person that's been forgiven, notice Jesus shared with Peter, this meal with him and the other apostles. That's an interesting truth, isn't it? It reminds us that when someone at our work or perhaps someone even at the church who has begged our forgiveness, do we extend to them in the same way Jesus did to Peter? Point number three will be this one. Not only is there the social interaction, and not only was there the matter preceding it, namely that declaration. Note point number three. A private discussion might well be in order. I would ask you to consider this one in light of the following. This chapter, John 21, presents the following interesting set of ideas. Again, if I could invite you to jump near the close of the chapter. 
In verse number 15 it says, So when they had dined. Again, that's that same meal you and I just talked about. That those fish, they're on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. A conversation between Jesus and Simon took place. Notice Jesus didn't address James or John or one of the other apostles. It was to Peter he said these things. Not only did that happen once, it happened two more times. In verses 16 and 17, but I would call to your attention verse number 20. It says, Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved. The language seems to suggest Jesus and Peter were walking side by side near one another. John and the others were some distance away. Jesus had called Peter. And they themselves, alone, one-on-one, were having this conversation. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Now I realize the Greek word love that's there as well as the one with which Peter responds is a very interesting thing and that's perhaps a lesson for a different time. But the point for the moment, Jesus highlighting the forgiveness extended to Peter apparently wanted to emphasize to him, Peter, I know you denied me. That's been forgiven. It's a part of the past. You feed my lambs. Peter, you feed my sheep. Peter, I've got a flock and you have an obligation. You have an obligation in which you are being commissioned by myself to feed them. Here was a direct commandment given. Wouldn't that highlight in the heart of Peter, I'm a forgiven man. The Lord has entrusted with me this obligation, this responsibility. You'll notice this private discussion took place. Sometimes that might be in order today, not always. But I would ask you to consider, isn't that a grand thing to contemplate the agape lesson of love taught in a passage like this one? Simon, do you love me? Well, surely, as you and I think then about how forgiveness was extended and what it meant, no doubt, in the life of Peter, it does highlight very sweetly and very powerfully the truth that could be such a meaningful matter even in the life of any Christian, even today. Maybe one final thought on that slide. What a tremendous benefit it is to think about the mutual love and benefit of fellow Christians who provide a source of encouragement and strength. It is a passage that we often think about in terms of the first part of it. But think about one of the other things stated. Confess your faults one to another. Maybe there are times we rather grievously err. We are afraid to come and confess our faults because I don't want others talking about it. I don't want to, in fact, air my laundry, if you please, amongst the group, and so I'm not going to confess it. That doesn't, in fact, reflect well on you and me. If someone were to come before us and say, I'm struggling with this sin, would you pray for me, please? I'm having such a hard time. Would you please pray for me? I need your strength. The last thing in this world we ought to do is take that and run to the world with it. That person is confided in our family. And we in strength need to be there for that person as a source of encouragement and strength, a f- a togetherness, a mutual appreciation. 
we ought not have the fear that my brothers and sisters in Christ will take this which is a troubling matter for me and it'll become known to the community and all over Facebook. Again, that's not a good reflection on me if they would have that concern that I would do that. Notice that Jesus exhibited to Peter a tremendous attribute of forgiveness and he had this conversation with him and, Peter, you feed my lambs. Maybe it is in that light we re revisit James 5, 16. Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. There's an element in healing in this. May I say that as you and I think about that too, even today, of course, the human character hadn't changed much and that still could be so helpful. We've looked so far at these three elements, these three attributes wherein forgiveness was extended to Peter. There's a fourth one. Let's look at it as well. And though I touched on it a moment ago, let's develop it a bit more thoroughly. Number four, a conferring of trust and responsibility. I'm sure you noticed it as we looked at this text in John 15. But my, I also say we also had mentioned it there in Luke 22, verses 32 to 34. Jesus said, Peter, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Don't languish in pity. Don't be overly sorrowful for what you did. It's true. You, you sinned. No doubt about that. But when you're forgiven, attempt to put that behind you. Aren't you and I reminded of Peter? The very one who had the blood of Christians dripping, if you will, proverbially from his hand. He had officiated or at least been a part of the stoning of Stephen, that powerful martyr in Acts chapter 7. He had been one who had in his le possession letters to imprison Christians. Oh, what he had done to harm the church. What he had done to harm the cause and the influence of Christ Jesus. What he had done to oppose the kingdom. And yet, he had become to be a forgiven man. He obeyed the gospel. His sins were forgiven and washed away. And do you remember that statement of Philippians 3.13? Brethren, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I strongly suspect Paul had many misgivings about the things in his life prior to obeying the gospel. How he had harmed his Lord. How he had influenced so negatively the cause of Christ but he had been forgiven. Look at the instance of Peter. He too, although he had been an apostle, one who had in fact worked miracles on behalf of Christ, one who had been such a powerful influence for good, and then he denied him three times. But Jesus forgave him. Again, look at these obligations. Peter, strengthen your brethren. Jesus conferred on him responsibility and obligation. And then three times in John 21, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Did Peter realize he was forgiven? As you and I turn to the chapter we call Acts chapter 2 on that great day of Pentecost, Peter and the eleven stood up and Peter preached an amazing sermon. In that sermon, he spoke about the life of Jesus Christ and the death of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the ascension of Jesus Christ, and the coronation of Jesus Christ as the King of Israel. And he closed that sermon with these words, Wherefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly 
that God hath made that same Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter appreciated he'd been forgiven and he encouraged others to come to be a part of that same kingdom. Save yourselves, he said, from this untoward generation. Surely in light of those things, you and I can now imagine the excitement that must have filled Peter's heart. Yes, he'd been forgiven and he in fact took so seriously that charge he had been given to feed his sheep. Aren't you also reminded of that great statement of Matthew 16? There, wasn't it true that Jesus Himself said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Peter, you've got keys. Now between the time Jesus made that statement to him and the time Peter used those keys, he denied Jesus three times. Doesn't that highlight? Jesus knew He was going to be a forgiven man. And Peter was faithful to use those keys in Acts chapter 2 and open the doors of the kingdom. And about 3,000 souls rushed in that day. That's a beautiful record, isn't it? In these four ways, Jesus demonstrated how He had forgiven Peter. As you and I close that slide, we understand how sweet that application can well be even to you and me today. When someone has erred against us and they ask for our forgiveness, we might then summarize our lesson by asking these four things. I've listed them for you again. Have we verbally expressed our desire and thanksgiving for their forgiveness? Secondly, do we in fact have social interaction with them in certainly an acceptable way? Thirdly, do we, if needed, have private discussion to insist and to emphasize the fact of the forgiveness? Fourthly, do we, have we conferred to them and on them obligation and responsibility as a matter of trust relative to that forgiveness? You and I can be thankful for the example of Peter because you and I might well imagine ourselves in that situation. Perhaps after becoming a faithful Christian, I slip and I fall. And aren't we thankful God will so faithfully extend forgiveness when we rush to His side? But also when a fellow Christian is in need of forgiveness, do we extend it the way Jesus did to Peter? Do we extend it the way that others in the New Testament did to their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Forgiveness is such a vital topic in the Bible, isn't it? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And many times those sins are sins by which we sin against a fellow person. We'll close our lesson with a lesson text. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. We forgive one another. And we do so even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. You see, God is a forgiving God. That love is, is extended in the reality of His forgiveness to us when we meet the terms of that forgiveness, but also when our brothers and sisters in Christ, when they too have erred against us, but they ask for our forgiveness. We have certainly should be excited to extend it and in demonstration of it to exhibit these things we've studied tonight. As we close this lesson, we might well then do it in the following way and offer the invitation of our Heavenly Father. It might be that there's someone in this audience, one or more individuals, who upon consideration of your life, you realize there is a distance between you and the God of heaven. 
Not because God wants that distance there, but because you've allowed it to come to be. God wants you and I to be faithful to His side, to be earnest and ardent in His kingdom, and to be loving members of those who obediently carry out His will. If there's anyone in this audience that's never become a Christian tonight, why not remedy that, that shortcoming? Don't you want to be in fellowship with Him? Of course, you're commanded in so doing to believe Him to be the Son of God. That's Jesus Christ, of course. To repent of your sins, to confess His name, and to be immersed, baptized in water for the remission of sin. If you would do that, He would welcome you into His kingdom because He'll add you to it. I don't have that authority, neither do our elders, neither does any human being. It's His kingdom, and He'll add you to the church. If you have become a Christian... But perhaps over time you've allowed a heart that's hardened and perhaps so hard that you haven't extended forgiveness when others have asked for it or maybe held grudges where they ought not be. May I suggest that you think about the example of how Jesus interacted with Peter. And if you need to ask for prayers of brethren tonight, we'd be happy to pray to God for you. Jesus would lovingly wish you faithful back at His side with attitudes and all the exemplifications that we've studied tonight. If we could be of help in any way, in any of these ways, we would urge you to come and do so at once while together we stand and while we sing.